0: When I told the members of the School of Podcasting who I was interviewing today, the first question I got was, how did you get that person to come on the show? And so the first thing I always like to remind people is when somebody says no, that doesn't mean never. It may mean not now. I also did my homework and I found out, well, I'll let him say it. I don't like video. We don't do video with no agenda.
1: It's just, I've never never really liked it.
0: I also got the feeling in listening to different interviews that he's been on, that he may be, maybe slightly tired of sharing the story about how he and Dave Weiner invented podcasting in a hotel room in New York City. But more importantly, how do you get somebody on your show that you really, really want? You wait till they have something to promote. Speaking of promoting, this episode is brought to you by PodPage. Go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash PodPage, where you can build a beautiful podcast website in five minutes. I'll be talking more about that later in the episode. Pay special attention to where I put it and why. So when I approached the guest, I said, hey, I understand you are now out talking about Podcasting 2.0, the thing he's promoting. I would love to have you on the show. I use Squadcast, and while there is video to boost communication, I'm not recording it. Oh, and I promise not to ask you about how you and Dave created podcasting in a hotel room in New York City. So that's right. The very first person to be inducted into the Academy of Podcasting's Hall of Fame is is here to talk about podcasting networks and why they don't work. The most important thing is value. And if you give value, you get value. And the future of podcasting with Podcasting 2.0. The
1: School of Podcasting
0: with Dave Jackson. Podcasting Sense 2005, I'm your award-winning Hall of Fame podcast coach, Dave Jackson, thanking you so much for tuning in. If you are new to the show, this is why I help you plan, launch, grow, or monetize your podcast. My website is schoolofpodcasting.com. Use the coupon code LISTENER, that's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, when you sign up for either a monthly or yearly subscription and don't forget, that now comes with one-on-one consulting and a thirty-day money-back guarantee. Check it out, schoolofpodcasting.com slash join. So 15, 16 years in the making, Adam Curry is on the School of Podcasting, and there are two things I wish I would have done looking back on this. Number one, I should have asked him, how long do I have you? Because I was somewhat stressed out on how many questions I could ask and things like that. I didn't do that. It really didn't come into it because I probably talked to him for probably an hour and 10, 15 minutes. The other thing I forgot to mention to Adam is that we don't curse on this show. And uh, here's the thing. He said words that begin with S. And uh, also that thing you wipe when you're done. Uh, Yeah, those words are going to be in here. And I was going to bleep them out. And it was just like, eh. you know what? I'll just let you know here is a little disclaimer. If you have kids in the car that are, I don't know, under the age of five months, Uh, You might want to turn this off because if they're over the age of five months, there's a really good chance they've heard these words at school are probably more importantly out of your very own mouth. So be warned. You're going to hear those words. I didn't bleep it out. And I think the world will keep turning. The other thing I did is Adam is up to his neck in the nuts and bolts of all the moving pieces of podcasting 2.0. And there are times when we really got into the weeds and it dawned on me that I went over with my limited knowledge. I have somewhat of a technical background, but I've never done any kind of coding stuff. I know a little HTML and I went over and just broke everything. And I was like, wow, this is really not quite ready. And you'll hear Adam talk about this. Like, yeah, that's a problem. And then that's something we're going to fix. But what I did was time we got into how are you doing that, like the nuts and bolts, I cut it out. Why? Because there's a podcast called Podcasting 2.0, link in the show notes at schoolofpodcasting.com slash 780, because I realized for about 93% mm, of you, it's going to go right over your head. And so if you want the nuts and bolts, go listen to Adam and Dave on Podcasting 2.0. I wanted to get you the concepts as well as I will be pointing you towards resources. If you want to jump into this, it's kind of interesting because I do have people boosting me Satoshis. And that right there, when you go, what? Is that some sort of, is that in like Pokemon? I just caught five Satoshis. No, I don't know. It's it's like money, if you think about it. Right, a dollar is broken down into quarters, nickels and dimes over across the pond. You got uh, the pound and then you got uh, two pence or something like that. I remember like that. So a Satoshi is a very small piece of Bitcoin. And if you're like, I don't even understand Bitcoin, don't feel bad. Neither did I. I went over and jumped in, broke everything. And that's the whole point is we are now going to be working on documentation and creating a nice clear path for people who want to participate in this. For those of you like me that are part of the Silver Squad and been in this place a while, there are some stories that you've never heard before. Here's my talk with the pod father, Adam Curry. He was born in Virginia, moved to the Netherlands when he was seven, built his first transistor radio when he was 15. By 16, he was an announcer at a hospital. From there, he worked as a pirate, uh, <laughs> pirate radio, moved to Amsterdam. You also worked as a part-time in a computer store where you built your first modem or a modem, I guess we should say. And, oh, yeah, there is that whole MTV thing from 1987 to 1994. But you saw the power of the Internet and jumped on a started your own company on ramp, which if I understand this right, according to Wikipedia, you took a company that you founded and sold it to another company that you founded. And that was Think New Ideas. And this is why I wanted to bring this up. So many people get hung up on the MTV thing. And I'm like, there's so much more to this dude than MTV and his hair. I mean, this turned into a giant company that you sold for a lot of money. You were building websites for Budweiser and all these other places. You streamed the Grammys back when people had dial-up modems. I mean, that's a feat in itself. You launched Podshow in 2004, which is a podcast network, and I want to talk about that. Uh, in 2005, you're on Sirius Satellite Radio. 2007, you start No Agenda with John C. Dvorak, the best podcast in the universe, on the value for value model. So he's part pirate, he's part broadcaster, he's part nerd and part businessman. He is the podfather. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the School of Podcasting. One, Adam Curry. Wow. Dave
1: Jackson, you know, my wife and I are just making up our will and I've just decided who's going to be the executor <laughs> and uh, who is going to do the eulogy. And I expect a plaque with that somewhere. <laughs> Thank you. That was very kind of you. You got uh, most of that right. All you right. Know?
0: Well, it's it's the internet, you know, you kind of go <laughs> a lot of, uh, crunch on crunch base and a lot on Wikipedia. But where I wanted to start is so many people think if I could just start a network. I can group all my buddies together. We'll get this network. And instead of trying to sell our shows as one show, we'll sell them all together. And I wanted to kind of go back just one step to pod show. That was this giant network. You had VC funding, and I've heard you say numerous times that networks is not the way to go. And can you kind of share some insights as to, as to why? Wow. That's, uh, thank you for asking that. And thank you for doing this,
1: we were just talking about you on podcasting two point our podcast we talk about the new developments. And I was saying, you know, how you educated an entire generation of podcasters. And you're oh gee man, you're me with me, the silver squad. <laughs> you know, we're uh, we're we're still here and we're still doing important things. To talk about Pod Show, I have to go back just a little bit to my the company that I took public. And actually it was it was a roll-up. So we had a, a company we could either be bought partially by Omnicom or raise private money or buy a whole bunch of other internet uh, advertising type marketing companies and then take that and go public. So I did that with Ron Bloom. He was my, uh, my partner and uh, we took the company public and of course with, with other, other executives who we brought into the group by acquisition of their companies. And so when podcasting kind of exploded, Ron called me. No, I think I called him and I said, hey man, you know, should we see if we can do something with this? Maybe we can get the band back together. And uh, so there was actually an infamous meeting in Miami where he was living at the time. Dave Weiner was there too. And it was kind of, you know, what can we do? And we brought in a couple of people we knew from the uh, Think New Ideas days. And that actually turned out quite ugly. Um, Dave really wanted to do a, um, a device, and uh, we wanted to do a network. And uh, he got pretty pissed off about that. And it actually kind of ended our, our communications for quite a while because we had such a d- disagreement in that. And he thought it was really bad that we were going to try and build what he called a kind of like a, a scummy record label, uh, which was not true because we came from the music business. We knew exactly what we didn't want to do and we didn't want it to be a, a scummy music label. Now, at the same time, the, uh, the infamous Steve Jobs meeting has taken place and uh, so he's announced podcasting in iTunes and, um, uh, and the iPod and I sent him an email to thank him for, you know, for everything he did and I got an email back. It was, I think, the only Uh, the only email I've received from him. And it was, you know, thanks, good stuff. Uh, I'm going to connect you to Kleiner Perkins and uh, Sequoia Capital. Because I told him we thought advertising was the business model. And I kind of took that as his thank you. And he did. And so we convinced uh, these top level venture capitalists that we could build a network. Uh, the, The concept was, Every band, every rock and roll band is its own little LLC, its own corporation. They do their own merch. They do all these things. their marketing. They book their own gigs. And so if only we could provide some infrastructure and general ad sales, then we could have everyone, every one of these bands, which, you know, we were looking at podcasters, they could kind of pretty much hold their own. And we take a piece of the, you know, of the advertising. That's really the idea. But we would offer a lot of services. Um, and so we set up the first 10 or 15, you know, we actually gave them money to sustain them or help them quit their day job. That was our, uh, hey, you can quit your day job with podcasting. And of course, a couple could because we paid them to quit their day job and we helped them set up their LLCs and uh, many of them went on to be quite successful. So as that grew, of course, we couldn't give everybody pre funding, but at least we had enough, uh, in the advertising income that we could start to promise people more guarantees, some low-level guarantees. And we we did all this with contracts and it was interesting, very early on I think Keith and the girl, we sent them a contract and they tore us apart like we were evil assholes. I'm like, okay, whatever. And see now that the shit that people agree to when it comes to Spotify or just literally giving the store away. And so here's why it doesn't work and why I say you can't monetize the network is because you can't. You can monetize a few shows, but it is, in general, impossible in certainly in today's environment, but even back then, to deliver a brand-safe guarantee to advertisers, and that really is so subjective as to what is brand-safe and it's per advertiser. And we saw pretty early on that this was not going to work. We were not going to be able to get scale to big automotive, uh, pharmaceutical, uh, telecoms, and even though some of them were out there. And this is when we kind of slipped into it was valid when we first did it is the idea of a host read with a code with a coupon code. And people would, in fact, support the shows, use coupon codes, buy product, like the product, continue to buy the product. But what happened pretty quickly as as a part of the online world in general is that we got this code stuff. So a successful podcaster could do quite well, make a lot of money by being really good at SEO and their codes versus their actual uh, call to action in the podcast. So now this became an arbitrage business and me more in charge of content than anything. I was like to be the president of a company because it's completely meaningless. You know, he's this important title, but who gives a shit? This guy doesn't do anything. I found myself, you know, working on content production. That was really like a NASCAR vehicle, only you're putting the stickers on the windshield. (laughs) And so I'm like, no, I don't want to have to make really cheap content in order to skate by on this because we can't really do good stuff because there's no advertising market for it. And we really tried very, very hard. Now, when it comes to the uh, having a network of talents, oh, my God, you need a, a staff of 20 full time just to manage the problems. And then it's like, well, they've got more advertising. I'm not featured on the homepage. And I'm saying that because that's what it sounds like to us. <laughs> and it's very important to each individual. And I'm waiting now because you're going to see it. Well, how come Sophia with an F only got 60 million and Joe Rogan got 100 million? Clearly, there's some misogyny going on over there. I mean, this is the kind of crap that you have to put up with. It's, you know, and it is indeed like running a record company. So unless you run it like a scummy record company and treat everyone like dirt and make them your slaves financially and contractually, it's not worth the effort. You can't make it work. You can't be a nice guy and it's incredibly painful and no one, no one winds up happy. At least of all the end customer, you know, and and I'm, I think advertising in general is just censorship, whether it's for a competing product or the truth about that singular product, it censors you. It makes you self-censor since that moment I've, well, we came to Value for Value. John C. Dvorak and I kind of started the uh, No Agenda Show during the last years of Pod Show slash Mevio. You know, Pod Show was around for 10 years. I, I left in 2009, I think.
0: Yeah,
1: And was still an advisor, etc. But, you know, they were going real heavy on video and really trying to do TMZ type stuff. I just, I was no longer interested. And it, ultimately, it didn't succeed. And I'll tell you,
0: For my money, if Ron Bloom
1: can't make it work, you can't make it work.
0: (laughs) There you go. Well, you brought up the No Agenda show. You guys do six hours a week, two shows, three hours each. Mm -hmm. How much time does it take? Because people think, oh, look, he's got a podcast. He's got people donating money. I'll do one of those. And I'm like, "Eh, this isn't one of those kings where you and John show up and just start winging it. Can you kind of give us a behind the scenes on how much work actually goes in to the No Agenda show?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, we make it look easy, Dave. That is, of course, the uh, the trick. You, know, you just want to make it look easy, like you're winging it. So if people think that, then, yeah, mission accomplished. Yeah. Uh, so it started off, our first shows, and John and I were just, he was working at a uh, pod show at the time. I'd hired him. I thought he was really great, and he was a great asset, certainly, in, uh, in creating content, aside from the shows that he brought, but also uh, mentoring people. He was very good at that. And, but we found each other interesting. So we talk, I was living in London at the time, but I was going back and forth every three weeks or so. And so we talked for 20 minutes on the then budgeting Skype network and and just chat. It was was nothing until one day we said, you know, we should, why don't we just make this into a podcast? You know, we're entertaining enough. We got enough stories and we did. And that was the whole idea. It was no agenda, no jingles, no nothing, no, no commercials, nothing, 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 just uh, two guys talking. And it was 20 minutes, and then it was 30 minutes, and then it was 40 minutes, and then I was really deconstructing media on my end, and he was doing the same. And we were comparing stories across continents. I had an information awakening of my own. The Lisbon Treaty was being implemented, the Constitution of the EU, and I read the protocols and, you know, how what I saw on television was same money, no passports. But what was really going on was this whole financial takeover, a lot, a lot more like, well, the media it has to be complicit if i can read this and figure this out then something, something's going on. and there was another book Legacy of Ashes about the CIA and my uncle was mentioned in this many times and no secret he was very senior at the CIA back in the day when they jumped out of airplanes and saw, and saved the world. and i said, "Don, is this true?" and you know, he said, "Well, yeah, it's pretty much how I remember it." and then I was like, "Oh, okay." And you know, before you know it, I'm I'm going down the whole early rabbit holes and like, "Okay, there's a lot of stuff here." And we just start to uncover interesting things historically that you never really look at, but the internet was fast enough and you could start to research. And we turned that content, that that research work we were doing into the show. And it was really, I'm going to amaze John a little bit more with what I found than what he found trying to just one up each other. And this goes on for a bit. And we're like, you know, this is actual work. And we're talking one, you know, 40 minute show a week. And we're like, this is work. So you're going to have to pay us. And I think we start off by sending us three bucks. You know, if you send us three bucks, and of course that wasn't very successful. We got, you know, three bucks. And at a certain point, we decided to, it was, I'm sure it came out of a conversation about pricing or value or something. So why don't we just make this open? Give us whatever you want. And that's, that was literally, literally our pitch. By, the, by that time, we're doing about an hour and a half a week. I said, you know, you could have sat in a movie theater with a date bought a Coke and some popcorn, might be 50 bucks. What was this last hour and a half worth to you? you know, send it to us on PayPal. or. And I think another part of our success is we'll take check, we'll take cash, we'll take uh, money order, we'll take anything, anything you got, we'll take it. Bank transfer, Zelle, you know, pop money. Goats, um, chickens. Goats, uh, gold doubloons. <laughs> you know, we are pretty brazen. Because you know, we've been commercial guys all our life. So this was very refreshing and new to say hey why don't you just support us if you don't support us we're going to stop and of course we had salaries in from a pod show so we could easily say well if you don't pay us we're going to stop and i remember i was doing business in new york i was in the hotel room and john called me and he said dude like we made two thousand dollars i said this is real this is real money and it was for one episode And i'm like so it's really working can you before it's just like you know whatever you know john i do the production john does all the money and the taxes or at least he tracks everything and so i never really paid much attention to it I said yeah this is real I, I think we could really do this and then he started doing his newsletter which is one of the so the one of two of the genius things we did is we started with our one show week which was uh sundays and we always do it on sunday and we always do it at the same time and and it was like maybe three years into it we were also live streaming it with the irc chat now lovingly known as the troll room And so those things are very important because people get very used to receiving their episode at a certain time on a certain day. But then to have the newsletter go out, which is, and John's professional. He writes a great newsletter. It reminds people, hey, we got a show coming and we're not bashful. You got to support this show. And, you know, from time to time, support's low. You say, you know, and John has this famous story that there was this butcher that he really liked and he didn't go to it. And he's like, ah, I'll go to it next time. And then one day it was gone. Yeah, that's how it works. And there's something in our human DNA our, that we, we like to reciprocate for goodness. There's just something in there. I think Americans are uniquely geared towards this. Uh, we're very philanthropic. But I see it from all over the world, so it's not unique to Americans. But you get something and you say, oh, I hope you enjoyed it. And people think, oh, really? I just, I just sent them 50 bucks? what is now called the value for value model, we would say, you know, so what is that? Send us 50 bucks if this hour and a half was worth it. If not, send us less, make it meaningful to you. So of course you got quite a few people sending $50. We got quite a few sending $5. But man, we got a few sending 500 and more. It's like, well, holy crap. So now it just becomes, you know, like, all right, what percentage of people can we get to support us for each show?
0: And and that's all we've ever cared about. Can I pay the rent? Do you know, like, what's the top anybody's ever contributed? In one go? Like, what's the most single donation you've ever got? You are not going to believe the size of that check. But speaking of 2.0, Podpage 2.0 rolled out this week. With more monetization tools, you can now have sponsor pages that are so easy to set up. That goes along with the guest pages that are already there. Speaking of guests, they now have a guest intake form and a release agreement. It's easier to set up donation widgets. Google AdSense now integrates with it. If you have lead magnets, kind of like, hey, sign up here and get this thing, that is now part of PodPage. They've improved the voicemail. They've improved the commenting capabilities. It integrates with Fusebox, Ko-Fi, and Supercast. Also, if you have multiple podcasts now, you can have one sign-on and have multiple podcasts with multiple users. They redesigned the whole dashboard. There's a whole lot more. It's a really amazing tool. If you're a person that's like, look, I understand the importance of having a website for my podcast. I'm just not a geek. Then PodPage is for you. You simply put in your RSS feed and it spits out a beautiful, professional-looking podcast. I use it on many of my sites. I am a very happy customer. Go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash getpodpage. That's schoolofpodcasting.com slash getpodpage and try it absolutely free. Now back to Adam. you like, what's the most single? Yes donation you've ever got
1: i think three thousand (laughs) three hundred and thirty three dollars and thirty three cents yeah
0: value for value baby
1: but you can't really understand this until you've witnessed it i know that you just set up we'll get to that your podcasting 2.0 value for value note but when you start seeing appreciation come in almost immediately so for us it's still you know paypal is the main way and then along with that come notes of gratitude it's not just a dollar amount it's like so the past year and a half, we've, we've really done very well in growth and, and certainly in, in the value for value exchange. People are saying without you guys, I might have gone crazy during the, the during the pandemic. And so this is what it's worth to me. Now, we took that much further. We gamified that thanks to uh, Sir Gene Naftulia. If he said, look, I'm a knight. That's oh, by the way, I should mention a thousand dollars, you're a knight. That's kind of our, but we also per episode, you could be an executive producer, an associate executive producer, you know, and these are real titles, just like Hollywood It's just as valid people on IMDB have these credits, real producers of television and, and film. So what do I do next? He says, well, I don't know. And so we just took the peerage system from the queen and said, well, if you do another thousand, you're a baron, and then we can get you to Viscount and, you know, Duke and Grand Duke and God knows what. So people love that. And when you become a knight, you get a a signet ring and sealing wax and a certificate. And so and that's just kind of fun. And, you know it works and people like it and they're very proud of it. You know, and, and I think that's really what, what I do is I, I'm able to build communities.
0: You openly encourage your community to do whatever you want, if it's going to benefit the show. And that to where I see so many people, like I wish I had a wish I had a sales staff to help spread the word and this and that. And I always say you do, it's your audience and you're a great example of just, Hey, Just what people come to you. Can we sell t-shirts? Sure. Can we do this? Can we do that? Yep. Sure. Yep. You're not restricting anybody as long as it's good for the show. And they love it. Now it goes from being your show to our show. I
1: think this is a a very important point and important part of the value for value model, which is really not employed by anyone but us. I think just as early on, as we said, you need to support us and you can get a credit for that. An executive producer or an associate executive producer. We said, because all of you are producers, you're not listeners, we don't have an audience, we have producers. And each of you has a responsibility somewhere during your time in this uh, tribe of ours to give us your time, your talent, or your treasure. And so as it turns out, lots of people know a lot about very, one very specific thing. Aviation, medicine, law, politics, and you name it, dentistry veterinarian, we have people who are in these fields, politics, government agencies, many of the government agencies we have producers. So it's just as valid to send us some of your time, which means you, you took the time to explain something that we really don't understand, like how ERCOT works in Texas and what's really going on with our power grid issues. And these are from people who literally work there and help us understand it. And they feel comfortable doing that to your talent we are one of the few podcasts that has brand new album art for every single episode. And we do that through no agenda art generator, which again, one of our producers set up, we haven't maintained it ever. It's all run by them. We have 20 artists maybe on a show basis competing for that slot, which we choose. And, and then we also discuss it afterward uh, on the next show. We discuss why we chose what, and it is a postmodern way of approaching radio actually with this feedback loop. So the troll room is important. I watch that. They give me information while we're doing the show live. Mm-hmm. And so along with that, as you pointed out, comes, well, we we have a t-shirt company. We want to do t-shirts, mugs, hats, hoodies, whatever. Great. We have a license. Now you don't need a license. You, you can't use our faces. That's the only parameter we have. But the name, the show, the logo, we never built a logo. There's eight million versions of it by other people. And so they agreed that whatever they sell, they if they use art from the artists from the art generator they give a third to the artist they keep a third and eventually they aggregate it and donate to the show and we never check it we don't have to there's no paperwork same with all of our data show notes clips all of that is made available all of a sudden we have three different search engines we (laughs) we have all these great things that people do just because you make it available it's really like many open source projects work if you let people use their creativity. It turns out I can really contribute.
0: Yeah, great things happen. One of the things that spurred podcasting 2.0 is you saw people like Alex Jones and just all sorts of people, on whether it be on Patreon or on Apple, people started getting kicked off because of what they said. And I think that's what inspired you to start podcasting 2.0. And really, there's so many people that are like, hey, this is going to be better than RSS, or we could do this, it's better. And instead of replacing RSS, (laughs) your genius that is Adam Curry said, why don't we just make RSS better? Like, why don't we just add to it? So can you kind of explain what podcasting 2.0 is?
1: A couple things happened in succession, actually. I went on the Joe Rogan show in March of 2020. And uh, the first thing that happened is Joe very kindly recertified me as an important part of podcasting history. And that, that was very impactful. It was a very big audience, a new audience, uh, an audience that is too young to ever see me on MTV to know the history, et cetera. That was really phenomenal. But like a month later, Joe disappears and goes to Spotify, actually a little bit later than that. And we, uh, we're in good touch. You know, we have some contact about it. So I, I kind of know how all that went down. And uh, simultaneously, Apple in weird coordination, it seemed, with with several other Silicon Valley companies, uh, deplatformed X22 Report, Alex Jones, Infowars, couple other podcasts. And it wasn't so much that they removed them from their database because, you know, whatever, like you have to, you know, go through their process on the way in. So it's not a secret that they set certain standards as to what they want. But what I noticed is that all these other, independent quote unquote podcast apps that they also lost all of these podcasts now the joe rogan part is understandable the rss feed was shut off but the apple part i hadn't really thought about because when steve jobs basically asked for my blessing for podcasting to be in in itunes i gave him the original ipodder.org opml file the uh, the original you know the first index if you will and apple became the you know, de facto index, also the de facto on-ramp, because if you want to be in all these other apps, you have to register with Apple. This was a critical mistake on my part. I'm not saying that I would have done it any differently starting over, but I did not think about something that I, I never had to think about. As you so delightfully explained in your intro, you know, I built my first radio FM radio transmitter when I was 15. I, I was in very active in pirate radio broadcasting I never had to think about radios. So they're just around. Everybody's got a radio. There's a radio in the cars. There's radios everywhere. I never thought about what if, what if the radios go away? And the radios will go away if they don't have all the content that people want to, to hear or see, whatever. But also, if you have no incentive for the radio building guys, they're not going to build radios. And what is the incentive for a podcast app developer? 99 cents in the app store. Let me tell you, the amount of work that goes into... RSS feed aggregation and podcast app in general is astounding, and it's ninety nine cents is pretty rude. Now, there's always going to be a market uh, like Overcast where you can you have so many great features. You've positioned yourself so right. Uh, clearly, has a great user base, and he's very self sustaining. But that's a very small universe. And by the way, Overcast also lost <laughs> uh, those shows uh, either because they didn't want to keep it on, or you know whatever it is. They were gone, and we can't have that. And we also need to make room for the next Joe Rogan. And we need to now probably compete with these companies that are now what I call netcasts. You know, podcasting is podcasting with an RSS feed. If you're Apple and now you're subscriber based, that's a netcast. If you're Spotify and you're no longer providing RSS feeds through your partner uh, anchor, you're doing netcasts or whatever you want to call them, but they're not podcasts. But we still have this wonderful ecosystem, which is still very functional and more necessary than ever. As cancel culture walked right across my bow, I'm like, you know, we need to have a place where you can preserve this just as a platform for free speech. I don't want to host podcasts, but I want to have an index that anybody can go to, can find a feed, or even better, why don't we set it up so that app developers can create completely new podcast app experiences with stuff we've never thought of before, you know, maybe different combinations. And we'll do that by extending RSS itself with what's called the namespace. And you get all of these added features, commonly known as as tags. And I think we have 15 new features now. Uh, so this does a couple of things. Podcast innovation had literally stopped. It was, and for 10 years, everyone was in groups, I'm sure you went in a couple of groups or Slack groups or something, (laughs) some Slack channels. And we had lots of governors and boards and ideas. And nothing came out of it because no one's really willing to implement and was also too hard. So called my buddy Dave Jones. I said, Dave, he and I have been doing RSS aggregation for a decade. So if we can take all the heavy lifting away, so all the aggregation, all the all the different endpoints you would want an NPI or API to make great podcast features, just let podcast developers create their apps and not deal with all the crap under the hood, which is substantial. Then maybe we can integrate a way to get them paid, get them to be a part of the system. And at this very moment, as I'm doing my research, I come across the lightning network, which is a layer two to Bitcoin. So kind of like Venmo. You can do small payments very easily. You can use QR codes. And they have a, a system which at the time was still kind of experimental called Keysend. And when I saw this and I started to understand how it worked, I realized this was programmable money, scriptable money. So and you can break this down into a fraction of a fraction of a penny. It's just great for little micropayments. And I took that same idea of value for value and said, what if I click the play button? I'm getting MP three value into my ears, at the same time I'm sending back monetary value to the creator of what I'm getting. And if I click stop, it stops, and I can determine how much I want to send. So if it's you know maybe a dollar an hour, maybe ten dollars an hour, and then why don't we add a feature in it, kind of like a heart on Periscope or Instagram? You know, you hit a boost button, and you can send ten cents or a hundred cents or a hundred dollars. That I think this is what. It's kind of the cool part is the availability for the podcaster to split that. So if you agree to use the system, then you let the podcast app take a small piece of that payment. And podcast index takes 1% just for running all the back end stuff for you. That's the only way we make money except for other donations. And we put it together and, you know, just this community started to build around it. And it took off. And now we have 20 apps and services. We have you know, multiple um, hosting companies uh, who are supporting all of the, the really cool new things like chapters and transcripts and people and enhanced search and uh, location and also this payment system. And it's it's been phenomenal. I mean, we are seeing 24 hours a day, every single minute of the day. There's money flowing to, to podcasters, to app developers, to I mean, just everybody. So now you have this beautiful combination of kind of an uninterruptible distribution supply, as long as you control your RSS feed, and uninterruptible money. So bring it on, cancel culture. Who cares? The mainstream (laughs) media and the mainstream apps, you know, there's a lot of stuff that can't go on on Spotify. They'll take it off. There's a lot of stuff that can't go on on Apple. They'll take it off. Who knows what that is next week? You know, I mean... I remember very well, 10 years ago, we were laughing about people suggesting bullying laws. Well, we've come a long way, baby. You know, so this could go anywhere you want. And this is one of the last few openly distributed media ecosystems that there is. I mean, everything else has just been co-opted. And at this point, even I'd say Apple and, uh, and Spotify specifically are withdrawing from the open ecosystem. Apple has all but given up on supporting external stuff. You know, their updates now are hours, if not days late with total disregard for the whole podcasting industry that has to deal with the support calls over that crap. I can vouch for that. (laughs) Let me guess. How come, how how come you guys haven't uploaded my podcast to Apple? That's it. Where is it? It's so easy to fix. We completely implemented a fix for them, but Spotify is doing the same. They are Totally withdrawing from the open ecosystem, and while that's the only, thing, and that's fine. The only thing I have against it is don't call it a podcast. You're doing netcasts over there. That's right. You know, podcast is the open system. It's where everybody plays in the same playground. We all compete on features, price, quality, and we all contribute to making it better. And man, this is like it's like a complete analog. In parallel to the first time around. I mean, all the same things are happening, all the same discussions, and it's moving forward, but it is moving at a faster pace. And we have better tools, you know? Look at us, we got video, man. We didn't have any of that back in the day.
0: (laughs) Well, and you've got things like, there's a a lock tag that will make it, somewhat more complicated if somebody wants to throw your feed into someplace and steal your show. There's a tag there for transcripts. So if somebody wants to link to a transcript, there's all sorts of other features that again, that people have just asked and in the past it used to be, well, we'll have to see if Apple will implement it. And we've just said, wait a minute, we're tired of, of this. The the tail's going to start to wag the dog. We're going to put this in. If we can get everybody else to implement this, then eventually Apple's going to look outdated because we've got all this cool stuff. We've got, you know, a different uh a lower bit rate I think just got put through. So if hold,
1: hold on a second, Dave. All right. When we're talking about this stuff, we got to play the jingle. <laughs> and now it's time for some hot namespace. Hot namespace talk everybody. It doesn't tech doesn't have to be boring. Uh-uh. <laughs> Yes, the alternate enclosure is a is a really big deal. I mean, in essence the way we looked at it and Dave Jones is is a master, a master at at building a, a technical community and how he works with everybody is is truly admirable. So the first thing was the lock tag. That was like the easiest low-hanging fruit. Like we have all this theft going on, let's implement this. And of course, it was really aimed at Anchor who have not implemented it as far as we know, but it was a, it was our first kind of middle finger to people who don't want to play along with, uh, with the group. And then we decided, look, as long as there's one implementation, the tag goes in. You know, if you've got something that you're doing and you've got an implementation and we've got one app that's using it, it's in. It's completely valid. No questions asked. And chapters is really, I think, what is, is driving a lot of our initial inertia, so much so that Overcast is going to implement what we call cloud chapters.
0: How are cloud chapters different than for lack of a better phrase, regular chapters that are in the MP3 file? Okay, so first
1: chapter files, you're right, have been available for a long time. Tools typically haven't been that available and not all podcast apps really know what to do with them. There's also an overhead in file size, which is early on. And we're dealing with a lot of legacy, you know, when bandwidth was more expensive than it is today. Like, hey, you're, you're tripling the size of your file with all of these images in it. So no, we're, we're just not going to do that. And we don't really see a need for it, which of course is we can avoid that who has a need for it because as long as one person's using it, it's completely valid. So Cloud Chapters came out of, I want to say that may have been Buzzsprout, not sure. And we decided that it would be fun to have this as an external JSON file. So an external file to the RSS feed with just a reference. So here's where my chapters file lives. And... In this development, I had a very selfish thought. I thought, you know, what I really want, thinking along my value for value model, is I would love chapters. I love the idea of having especially different artwork that we didn't become, the album art, links to all kinds of stuff we have on our show notes. But, man, I do not want to sit and do all that after I've just done a three-hour show. So how about something called community chapters? And this got picked up by Hypercatcher. A Hypercatcher came into our group, and David has a really cool feature where as you're listening to a podcast, you can tap the screen and you can either make a note or create a chapter marker. And that chapter marker goes to the podcaster who has a back-end login, and you can see exactly if they put a little note, what the time code is, and then you can add an image. It's called Studio Hypercatcher. So I'm like, this is fantastic. Except I just need to be able to delegate this login to somebody else so <laughs> someone else can do the work. So Dreb Scott, who's, uh, and, and we were just talking about him today, he could make an actual business out of this. He does it for three shows already. He just listens to the show. He, he hits the, the marker whenever he thinks something is, you know, good uh, content or topic change. And then he goes back later and he logs in and he adds URLs and images. And even though the show has been published, that updates dynamically whenever it's ready. And this is something completely new. And when you, people see this for the first time, I saw a lot of people, Podcast Addict uh, on Android implemented this. They're like, holy crap, I just saw the image change. And there's a link. And people in the car who are driving and are familiar with just the image art, all of a sudden it changes. It delivers an entire new dynamic to this. And that's driving. People really like that. And the authoring is simple, it doesn't have to go, you know, it can go in a separate process from the mp3 creation and this was completely invented by collective like voodoo blue light that comes out of this podcasting 2.0 group of open source developers
0: the great thing about that group is somebody go what if it did this and then somebody goes oh that's a good idea but what if it did this instead oh wait no i think we could do and all of a sudden you end up with this like and everybody goes "Ooh!" all at the same time it's like that's that's exactly it's true
1: it's as you know, I've done a number of startups. I've taken a company public. I've done VC money. I've done all kinds of things. This is the most enjoyable project I've ever worked on, by far. And we were making money from day one. Now, granted, it was you know one Satoshi an hour, <laughs> and you know we haven't paid ourselves anything. But the machines run; they cost nothing now. There's enough money coming in through the value for value donations and the the one percent we get from the from the transactions of the value for value streaming payments that it's self-sustaining this by itself is crazy. Like we have a perpetual machine. So now we just need to make it better, bring on more, more features. And we need to remind our, our audiences, our listeners, our producers to try a new podcast app and, you know, new podcast apps.com. And we're going to make all this much better. I mean, of course, you know, We don't really have any marketing or anything. It's just uh, three dudes who are putting the podcastindex.org stuff together. And a lot of it is stuff you don't see. It all winds up in the apps, but we're going to really start marketing these new apps. And these are people who we have no financial relationship with, you know, we just work together and we want them all to be equally successful. You know, the same with the podcasting companies who are implementing a lot of these new features and you know, now there are people showing up who we've never even spoken to and like, oh, you know, my app's going to launch and, uh, and here's a here's a, here's a thing to test it with. Like, holy crap, where'd you come from? So it turns out that once you make it kind of easy and open and let everybody participate, they do. And then I see did a Zoom call or Jitsi call, got to be open source. And it was, you know, like 15, 18 developers. I look at this group and the level of conversation. Like, I have been in these groups before. And they were probably a payroll of $5 million a year. And I'm looking at these guys who are all working together. There's no organization that has any overhead from them. And they're more interactive and more honest with each other in a corporate setting where everybody's paid to be honest and interactive. (laughs) Funny funny how that works.
0: You hinted. I I went to get signed up. All I know is... Bitcoin's going to be the future. And the only reason money has value is because we've all agreed that money has value. So that's and that's from Gary Leland. And I was like, all right, I'll figure it out as I go along. And I didn't know what I was jumping into. And, and I got up and running. I hit a couple snags along the way. So what's the easiest way to get started?
1: This is what we're building. We're building a complete on-ramp that will make it very easy for podcasters to enable their podcast for value for value payments. You don't have to do you don't have to change anything with your hosting company, etc. You can just go to podcastindex.org, find your podcast by searching for it, and then click on the lightning bolt, and it will walk you through the process. Now, when you get to the part where it says, choose your node, this is where you're on the edge of life. This is where shit can go wrong, and, and it's not your
0: fault. And that's no one's fault. And that's the part where I, that's the part where I fell off because I was like, do I need one of these? Do I need all of these? And if so, which ones, like, what are the pros and cons of each?
1: The the language is wrong. Everything is wrong. Now I'm, we're very lucky because just earlier this week, my wife, who is, uh, she's semi-retired. She's a C-suite level communications professional. Her last communications job was Ronald McDonald House Charities. She was the chief communications officer. So she has agreed to um, help us with all of the communications with the, and a lot of this writing. This is where we, we suck. We really, really are horrible. It's like sometimes you see a dialogue pop up and you don't know what the hell it means because a developer did it. That's the level of, of where we're at. I mean, we just have not done a good job. So we're getting that done and it'll become easier. The node part is something worth explaining. Okay. So let's think of it kind of as. Let's just look at podcasting. You need uh, an MP3 file or whatever media you're going to be broadcasting, and you need an RSS feed. And then really the only thing that's needed on the other end is a podcast app. In general, you should be able to enter that RSS feed URL, and when you click on play or whenever you want stuff to download, it should just look at the MP3 and download it from your server. No one is in the middle. With the Lightning Network, this is Bitcoin, so it's actually translatable to money. But we we work in satoshis. And one Bitcoin, which is currently $35,600, one Bitcoin exists of 100 million satoshis. So $1 right now is about 2,850 satoshis. Sending 10 per minute is not a lot of money. But you might want to say, let's just take an average... One minute is 3,000 Satoshis, so you'd want to send 50. uh, One hour is 3,000 Satoshis is $1, so you want to send 50 a minute. That has to go from point A to B, i.e. from... So now it's the reverse. We're no longer getting stuff into the app directly from your server thanks to your RSS feed. We need to send you Satoshi's value from our podcast app to you. Now, you need to be online just like your server for the MP3 needs to be online. You know, there's, there's multiple services that are starting to figure out ways to service podcasters, and none of them are really geared for podcasters yet. Satoshi Stream, I will say, has a pretty good setup. They have the right idea. They've made it quite simple. Uh, and they're an option, uh, an option on, uh, on our system. And they make money mainly by when you take it out of their system to go spend it somewhere, then they charge, I think, 3 or 4%. There's voltage, which has an actual server that they can't, you know, that is really completely yours. It's just called a node and they'll manage a lot of the, a lot of the ins and outs of that. And that costs money in between somewhere there. We're trying to figure out how podcast index can help. And we hope to have that, you know, up sometime midsummer. That'll make it much easier for people to just go, Oh, okay. Click, click, click. But I really do believe that there's a generation of older millennials. 28, 29, 30 years old and they get it and they understand how this particular medium is the future for them. We have micro payments working with hundreds of podcasts and yes, it's small and because there's not a lot of people using the apps yet, but it's significant enough for everybody to get really excited when you see that coming in every single minute of the day.
0: Well, and it was small back in 2005. I remember seeing, you on some sort of local news that you know some segment and they're like Adam Curry wants to kill radio and I was like what? <laughs> who yeah. and I remember thinking that'll never work. You know, well <laughs> guess what? Three million podcasts later, you know, it's like holy cow.
1: So well it was interesting it was it was NPR who came in very early uh Tony Khan, WGBH. He was dragging his uh his station there in Boston. He was dragging them into the podcast. And if you look at Uh, Right now, we have um, the person in charge of podcasts at NPR, Stacey. She's very, very involved with implementing whatever she can, because they have their own hosting system. We even built a a special season tag for them, which uh, they'll hopefully implement soon. And Chapters is perfect for them. They have so much... uh, extra information and they too are not being uh helped by uh by any of the so-called big players you know those guys are not interested in helping npr other than yeah upload your stuff and we'll do subscriptions well that's not exactly uh we're not
0: necessarily a recipe for success you know jury's still out on that and we'll take 30 percent and you don't get any information about your customers and we're going well, to handle the customer support which kind of isn't our annoying, strong suit geez. yeah
1: well, it's even worse, and I think people are seeing this now, when you say, okay, I'm going to do a subscription for my podcast, and I'll do one a week, and you know, you get 20 people or whatever, how many subscriptions you get, you still have to do one a week, because if not, Apple oh. can turn you off and kick you out. Another beautiful thing that came out of the Podcasting 2.0 development group is this uh, thing called PodPing. Yeah. So some background on this the way podcasts have worked traditionally whether individually or with an index like podcast index or or even apple is the feeds have to be crawled they have to be checked for new episodes and in fact apple used to not do it that way and with their switch they now have implemented the crawling methodology which is the reason for the delay in updating because millions of feeds need to be prioritized in how they're checked for updates for how they're crawled. And so you can do it in a couple of ways. Well, when everyone's screaming, Apple sucks and it's taking too long, you use the Belgian hammer approach and you start you know, throwing server power at it. You just scrape everybody, which, by the way, is costly. I'm not sure how much it is, but it's not free for the podcast hosts. And it's still annoying. And we have such a great, such great contact with most of the medium to bigger size podcast hosting companies. We said, well, why don't we create a service where instead of us crawling you, you just say, boom, here's, a, here's an update to this feed. And now it makes sense to go and check it out or get the new episode. And now when you do something like that, the problem is you can't have this owned by somebody because then you create yet another power center. And, you know, that's the opposite of what we're all about. Brian of London is a developer from Israel. He's actually a, a knight and a Noah General listener, Sir Brian of London. So the way it works is anybody can send an update and those blocks update every three seconds. So as long as you use the approved, you know, the agreed to standard of whatever it's called, external JSON, it's like some format, it'll show up. And then anybody can use that to know when a podcast is updated. So if you go to podping.watch, you can see thousands of podcasts updating in real time. Now we don't have everybody on board, but you know, we'd still have, love to have uh, Libsyn, in, and I think Blueberry is working on implementation. We have Buzzsprout, RSS.com, Fireside.fm, I think Captivate, a couple more. We're trying to get Podbean. The Spotify anchor guys lost cause, but besides they'll be updating, they won't be updating feeds anymore eventually. Right. So they're, they're retracting, but that could actually help Apple. And I've and I'll say it again, Apple. Take our pod ping. You will not have to scrape uh, rss.com, buzzsprout.com, all that I just mentioned. You will not have to scrape them. It solves your problem is so huge. Now, if you publish a podcast on one of those hosting platforms, anything from newpodcastapps.com updates on under 40 seconds. Mm. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's crazy. It's also not green of Apple to do it that way. They really are killing the earth.
0: Get yep. a bunch of nerds together and good ideas come about. So
1: Yes, it's true. That's
0: awesome. And it's not, it's,
1: it's not just nerds, man. We got Dame Jennifer who does Animated No Agenda, and she just worked hard with um, and pressured, and you know, she's just very convincing, and she's very talented with, uh, with her own animations, and, and that's working now. So now we have video podcasts that don't cost an arm and leg in bandwidth with a payment system. This is phenomenal, phenomenal. This is this is like, finally, my refrigerator ordered the milk when I was out. <laughs>
0: Big well, promise of the internet. <laughs> Anything else about 2.0 that we should talk about before I let you get out of here?
1: Now, other than, again, remind your listeners and listeners tell other hosts about uh, yeah. newpodcastapps.com. Yeah and participate any way you can really is you know any developers we love developers just spreading the word telling you know we see show after show running into trouble with monetization whether they're being demonetized deplatformed or the system just doesn't work well for them well you uh, help people
0: you brought up a a cartoon right no agenda uh that
1: animated no agenda
0: didn't didn't you have one pulled down because from
1: youtube yes yeah one from youtube yes
0: so it's another example of. We don't want to give those people the power to tell us what we can and, and can't say. Well,
1: because, because it's so subjective, Dave. It's like, well, let's put it this way. A year ago, you couldn't say or you could be taken down for suggesting that the a coronavirus came from a lab in Wuhan. Uh, that changed in in the other direction. But that just shows you how nuts it is. Something that is completely wrong was interpreted in a way that you know got people kicked off. Yeah. So we can't have that. It's also unnecessary, but it's for them. It's what they have to do. That's fine. But we just need to move away. And I'm seeing so many people finding the alternatives. I just want to leave podcasting 2.0 in the safe hands of the elder millennials, because they know what to do with it. They do. I just want to make sure we get it working and, and kind of uh, get a little more mass to it.
0: Well, the last question I want to ask you just because you have been in broadcasting TV. You've been in reality TV in the Netherlands. You've been around all the space. And I know one of the things you've said, again, openly is that most podcasts suck. And so I thought, well, <laughs> let's go let's go back the other way. What do you think makes a good podcast?
1: Oh, wow. It just has to be entertaining. And that can, doesn't mean that you're laughing, but it can be as long as it grabs you and keeps you. It, it's always going to be the content for me. I've listened to yeah. Regularly to programs like, well, this is not how I'd produce it. Some are all about production. I know one thing the production is not going to sway me one way or the other to listen to it. You know, 18 years, I think we're still saying the same thing. If people hear your passion and they're passionate about your topic, uh, that's going to work. Uh, the modern answer of that is a good podcast has this continuous feedback loop with the other end. And it doesn't have to be expensive. It just, it, It can be as simple as your newsletter to remind people, it can be asking them to support you and and make sure they send notes and you read part of these notes, whatever it is. This interaction has never been taken advantage of uh, by radio broadcasters. They really don't, it's it's not the nature of it. Also doing that in live, you know, play out system, very difficult to have things come back, but for podcasts, really learn how to interact with your audience. You know, you have a thousand people who will will support your podcast. You're good. Don't look at advertising numbers or what I might be able to do in a CPM. How many people downloaded or impressions or whatever we've decided is the metric this week. Just see if you can pay your rent. (laughs) Or if you don't care, then just do it for whatever you're doing it for. You don't need to make money.
0: Well, and it always sounds like you never check your stats. We don't have stats. <laughs> See, we don't be- have stats. A lot of people just went, "What? Yeah, that's amazing." No, we don't.
1: <laughs> what we check is, did we? How much money did, we, did come in? Do yeah. we have enough money to to pay for everything? That's literally it, and we we live off this, so that's what we care about, and we take that personally because hey, no money. What did we do wrong? You know, the punishment is very direct and very quickly in the in this value for value business that keeps you keeps you working very hard, but also keeps the joy in it. The joy, like. Wow. Thank you, Gitmo Nation. We've done well. So I'll leave you with this final calculation. 100 million people in America listen to podcasts one hour a day average. If you take 1%, you now have a million hours. That's the 1% we can convince to pay us for in value for value, people who might use PayPal or Patreon. So if they can value that one hour at $1 or 3,000 Satoshis, We have a real industry all of a sudden. If that's rolling through, if a million dollars a day is running through podcasts, and it's totally possible.
0: I'll have links to all this stuff, podcastindex.org, newpodcastapps.com, noagendashow.com. Adam Currybody, thank you so much for, number one, just for still thinking forward and, and being the visionary and doing basically what you did back in 2000, let's get a bunch of nerds together and great minds and let's think of something better. So thank you so much for your time. I deeply appreciate it.
1: And allow me to return that and say, thank you again. You have been educating generations of podcasters since the very beginning and you clearly, like I have decided, no, we're not going to stop. And that's really appreciated. And and I know, I know, I know a lot of those questions you answer have not stopped. Take someone with a lot of passion uh, to do what you do. And it's very important and I appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you, sir.
1: Thank you, Dave.
0: Now, if you're sitting there going, you know, there's part of that, Dave, that I had no idea what they were talking about. The whole streaming, Satoshis, Hives, different platforms, blockchain. Huh? That's absolutely fine. That's normal. It's called learning something new. And to be honest, between you and me, I don't understand that stuff yet. In fact, that's going to be one of my kind of goals over the next couple of weeks is I need to find somebody who can explain Bitcoin deeper without losing me. I understand that the whole, you know, there's blockchain, Bitcoin sits on top of it. We all agree. I get it, but I, there's still some things. I need somebody I can talk to, ask questions, and then have them explain it to me. Because one of the things I want to do is next week I'm traveling. I'm in Grapevine, Texas, speaking at the Spark Christian Podcast Conference. And I know Adam is moving with his wife, Tina. So they're busy. But when I get back, I want to connect with Adam and Tina and see if I can't get involved with the documentation. One of my backgrounds in teaching, I've been helping people understand technology going back to the days of the fax machine. I used to teach a class on how to surf the internet because nobody knows or nobody knew at the time what it was. So I kind of like jumping into things I don't know, figuring it out, and then being able to explain it to people. So they go, oh, I get it. A Satoshi is one one thousandths of a blah, blah, blah. So a couple other things on that interview. I like the fact that John And Adam started off with just two guys talking about deconstructing the media. And they do have an agenda, by the way. I know it's called No Agenda. Their agenda is to point out where the media completely just loses it, how they just totally blow, how they suck and just, okay, we could go on. But anyway, then uh, they I like the story of like they just said, hey, I don't know. Why don't we just say donate what you want? They were like, we need to try something here. This isn't working. So, again, Sometimes you just kind of go, what happens if I do this? Because in the end, you always have to remember. No one will punch you in the face. And the last thing he mentioned there was the feedback loop. In fact, in Texas this week, I'm talking about how to know what your audience wants, even if you don't have one yet. And that's the thing. You want to put out content that resonates with people so that they either tell their friends or they give you feedback. And that's really the key. And then you just keep improving and improving and improving. They've got a huge audience. And they have content at noagendashow.com that you just can't get any place else. And that's how I I listen to a three-hour show twice a week. Now, granted, I'm listening at 2X, but nonetheless, I'm still making it through. One last thing I want to mention, I realize we are way over my normal length here, but just a reminder, the question of the month is, what's your top pet peeve? There's also a secret question over there. And I need that by June 25th, 2021. So that'll be next week's episode, which is I look at that and go, oh, great. That means when I come back from traveling, I'll get to do a question of the month. So not not well planned on that. But anyway, I need that by June 25th. It's super simple. Go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash question and leave uh, your answer to that question. What is your top podcasting pet peeve? Don't forget to tell us about your show, where we can find it and what we can expect. Thank you so much for listening. If you're ready to start your podcast and avoid all the common podcasting pitfalls, come see me, schoolofpodcasting.com. Use the coupon code LISTENER. Thank you for joining me on my quest to rid the world of boring podcasts. Until next week, take care. God bless. Class is dismissed. Hello, Dave Jackson. How are you, man? It's good. It's been a long time, brother. It has been a long time. You uh, you did one of the coolest things ever when you got your Hall of Fame award and you couldn't figure out how to get in and you called me on my phone. There's nothing cooler than being surrounded by your <laughs> friends and go, oh, hold on. I got to take a call. It's Adam Curry.
1: <laughs> hey, man, you got to start the show. These are the stories that people need to hear. It. it sounds so <laughs> fantastic and making me look good. I like that and I actually skipped over the what? how do I do the show Uh, I can come back to that later because a, a tool that he built called the Freedom Controller is one of the main ways that it makes it possible for me to do what I do